0: Let's take our Bibles, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 11, and uh, I will hope that you are, um, I hope you, as I've heard tonight, you've had a good day, and I thank the Lord for that because it has, like I said, recently been a very long winter, but uh, I, I was praying as I walked in because I just couldn't, as I, as I came into the church today, and the weather is so beautiful, and, and I said, Lord, will you teach me how to be happy when it's not like this? I almost felt badly for being happy, because it was so nice. And isn't it amazing how our circumstances inform our feelings so strongly? And I really, I prayed that. Uh, Paul said, "I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content." And so that takes a lot, doesn't it? And uh, how many have found in your life you've made some progress in that regard? Anybody like that? You've made some progress. You could be happy even when it's not nice. Um, that's awesome. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, had joy in his heart even though he was suffering a great deal. And so uh, we can have the same. Let's take our Bibles. And here's uh, before we jump into this, I want to say I am am intending tonight to finish chapter 11 of Revelation. And then we are going to take an unspecified amount of time as a break for a little while. Um, I'm not sure how long it'll be, but the reason is we're directly uh, halfway through the book of Revelation. And uh, I've run out of information completely for the last half. And so we're going to take a break, and maybe the cistern will fill back up at some point. But uh, I've got some sermons on order from heresy.com, and maybe that'll help fill in the gaps. But, uh, but right, we're going to take, take some time here in between. So I want to encourage you to come. Uh, I, I think I know which direction the Lord wants us to go, and, but I don't want to, as my dad used to say uh, oh, many times, I don't want to get the powder wet. Uh, in other words, if you ever knew what he was preaching beforehand, the Lord couldn't work on your heart during the sermon. Uh, only if it was a complete surprise could the Lord work. And so uh, I'm not quite certain yet uh, what it's going to be, but I do think we're going to take a little bit of a break. So if you've been coming for Revelation alone, uh, you may be excused after this uh, for the whatever length of time. And I hope that it's been an encouragement, encouragement to you. And we're not finished, but I hope it's been encouragement, not just um, as, as authors like to use the term titillation, not just the uh, tabloids at the checkout type of a thing. Um, because a lot of times, tabloids, I don't know if they ever tell the truth. Man eats glass like popcorn. I don't know. I know people do eat glass. But, but, but you know, a lot of those things are just lies. They're fabrications. But they are tension-getters. They are in the digital world called clickbait. And uh, I've tried not to emphasize that because at the end of the day, uh, we're not living in the tribulation we're living before the rapture, and we have a job to do. It's important for us to know what the scripture says, but I'm trying to find that right balance throughout this, and uh, I really appreciate uh, your prayers and your encouragement, your questions that you've had. They've been helpful to me. But we're going to try to finish chapter 11, and then about 10 years later, we'll finish the rest of Revelation, all right? No, it won't be that long. Let's look at Revelation chapter 11. We learn in this chapter that God's not finished with Israel. This is a very important chapter, Revelation 11. Uh, he's not finished. The church has not replaced Israel. And we saw uh, quickly in, uh, with review here the announcement of heaven, where he said, The second woe, in verse number 14, the second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven. So the announcement of heaven, number two, the arrival of the kingdom, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And again, let me emphasize, uh, when is election in America? When's the presidential election? And uh, it's uh, November, 2024. And I would just challenge you. uh, We know what those things are and we hope for change. Uh, sometimes we've hoped in vain for change. We've hoped that this is going to be, I mean, it's got to be. People are upset and then something happens. But, but just as sure and more sure than a presidential election is this verse. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We've got to keep that in mind. It's more important More important, in the grand scheme, we need to vote, we need to be involved, we need to pray for our leaders, we need to contact our leaders, we need to work for change within the constructs of what a wonderful uh, society God has allowed us to live in. But, but, But man, the evil men, are like the troubled sea, the wicked are like the troubled sea, whose waters cannot rest. They recede, and they ebb and they flow. Jesus Christ has this date in the future marked on his calendar, the day I take over the world. And uh, he's going to do it. It doesn't matter what other things are going on that day. He's going to do it. And so we've got to keep that in mind. The arrival of the kingdom. And then thirdly, the adoration of the saints. We had the four and 20 elders in chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. And what do they do? They fall on their faces and worship God. And notice why. Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Thou hast taken. You remember uh, with... uh, what was the man's name? Jonathan Swift that wrote Gulliver's Travels? What was his name? Swift. Okay. I'm thinking of Daniel Defoe. Jonathan Swift. He wrote Gulliver's Travels. Remember, he, he first arrives and he's tied up by the Lilliputians. And they, the, all these little tiny people have tied him up with ropes. Remember that? He's tied to the beach. Okay, what does he do? Well, first he allows them to do it. And it takes a while where he finally decides he's going to get up and he's going to exercise his strength. And that's kind of like what we have here with Jesus Christ. He has taken to him his great strength. And all the little ants from the anthill uh, or the ant farm are shaking their fist at him, and he's letting them do that. But he now takes his great strength to him, and he begins to reign. So tonight's message is about the crowning of the Messiah. So let's look at chapter 11, and let's read verse... Number 18. Let me get there myself. Chapter 11, look at verse number 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give them reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Let's jump right into this. Roman numeral four, we have the anger of the nations. The nations were angry. Why would you be angry with Jesus, the lowly Galilean? Well, because Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere to repent. Notice first, the anger... At the battle of Armageddon, the nations were angry. So we have seven trumpets. In chapter 8, verse 7, you have the first trumpet, and you can scan that if you want, and I'm going to read these very quickly just to give us an overview. Chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, you have the second trumpet. That's the, the, the meteorite that lands in the sea and kills a third of uh, sea life and uh, destroys a third of the ships and... And turns uh, the water to blood. And then chapter 8, 10 and 11, you have the third trumpet. And this is where that huge meteorite falls down and poisons the water. And then chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, the fourth trumpet, where the sun, the moon, and the stars shine at uh, at two-thirds, rather. They lose one-third capacity of their shining strength. And then chapter 9, you have the fifth trumpet. And remember, the last three trumpets are also woe judgments. Woe. So number uh, 5 is the first woe, number 6 is the second, number 7 is the third. And here we have the first woe judgment, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and that's where Jesus Christ unlocks the bottomless pit, and out comes uh, smoke, and out comes these demonic flying scorpion Locust things and they torture humans, and they and actually during this time suicide is impossible. Then we go into the sixth trumpet, that's chapter 9, to 12 to 13. That is the s- uh, second woe judgment. He says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and this is the second woe, the sixth trumpet. This is where we have the 200 million uh, demonic soldiers on horseback, and they come out breathing fire and brimstone, and they kill a third of the population. So that concludes the tribulation period. The seventh trumpet is when uh, it really ushers in the second advent. That is when Jesus Christ returns at that seventh trumpet. But notice, if you would, chapter 9, look at chapter 9, verse number 20. It says, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. How in the world? Because the most stubborn thing in the universe, maybe barring the heart of Satan, is the heart of man. Man is an incurable rebel. And he you cannot make him do what he does not want to do. You can make him pretend to do it, but he will not do it unless he wants to do it. So that's why the theme of the Bible is, is really the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And even with the redemption of man, the redemption of man is the conquering of man's heart by the king of kings. That's the redemption of man. He does not conquer men by force. He conquers them by love and invitation. And man can choose to reject or to accept Jesus Christ. But the whole purpose uh, uh, of what God is doing here is to judge men for their evil deeds. And notice, they would not repent. Look at chapter 16. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 18. I'm sorry, verse 8. It says, The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And what do they do? Blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not. And then you'll see the sixth angel, and the sixth angels with, with the vials are really an overlay of the trumpets. It's the same time frame, it's just from a different Perspective. Just like there are four perspectives on the ministry of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four trips through the book of Revelation. And uh, you have the trumpets, you have the vials, and the seals, and so forth. But I want you to see here that, that no matter what happens, mankind holds fast his decision to blaspheme God. Watch what the Lord's doing. In verse 14, he is gathering them... Spirit of devils goes out working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, unto the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So the Lord is gathering them here. Even though they hate and blaspheme and will not repent, God is gathering him. The nations were angry. Now, to hold your place here in Revelation, look at Psalm, look at Psalm chapter 2. Psalms, someone corrected me on this years ago, and maybe it'll help you. Uh, the book of Psalms and an individual psalm. Did you ever hear that? Individual, so it's Psalm chapter 2 the book of psalms just something to throw in there hey it's lesson night we got to learn our lessons okay revelation i keep saying revelation psalm 2 psalm 2 why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing the kings of the earth remember he said there in revelation he's he's gathering the kings the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against who? His anointed. Who is his anointed? It's Jesus Christ. Messiah means anointed one, right? Jesus Christ is his anointed. See, here's what people miss in, uh, in Judaism. They miss the fact that God has a son. Where is this? Where's the book of Psalms, Old Testament or New Testament? Before the name Jesus was used or after? Before, right? Now we understand Joshua and Jesus, the same thing. But as far as the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, no one was talking about him during this time frame. But notice, his anointed, verse number three, let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. No, no, he said, let us break their bands. Whose bands? The Lord and his anointed. And their cords. Well, what's the Lord doing? He's, he's gathering them together. He's lassoing them. And he's, he's pulling the noose tighter. Said, let's go. Everybody to Armageddon. And he said, they said, we don't want that. We don't, we don't want to do that. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh the Lord shall have them in derision. Now, I, I, I'm not a cowboy or the son of a cowboy, but I like Western things. I, I love being out west when I was a kid and had a chance to go to different ranches here and there and ride horses, and, and uh, I've always been intrigued by that. And and, and I've seen uh, these guys uh, they, where they will they will lasso um, a calf and they will wrestle that calf down to the ground. But some of those calves, some of those, those wild horses, they want nothing to do with being lassoed or being brought in. And a cowboy who is an old, just an old, I guess you'd call him a salt if he were on the sea, but uh, he's basically just a shriveled up piece of tumbleweed, you know, when you see those guys. And they're wiry as can be. And uh, those guys, when, when they, they like it when a horse throws a fit because it just makes it more interesting. They're going to they're going to break that horse, but the horse is making it fun. And you can almost see that in this story where in, in this passage where the Lord is laughing at them because you got this, you know, rebellious bronc that wants to get out. And the Lord said, boy, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. We don't get to do this all the time. And that's what the Lord He's laughing at them because they're not getting away. He's got a, he's got a rope. He's going to bring them in. And it says, then then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, we're not going to take the time to read this whole, whole passage, but uh, we'll see in just a moment. Hang, hang on to that, if you would, uh, in chapter 2. But let's look back. Hang on to chapter 2. Let's back, look back at Revelation 19. And for those that think that we uh, that we stretch the passage there in in Psalm by pointing to the to the Cowboys, look at chapter eleven, chapter nineteen, verse eleven. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He makes war. He has an army that follows him. Chapter nineteen, verse fourteen. And then look at chapter 19, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye, the fowls in the heaven, may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now, I can't help but think about the tree full of vultures I saw today up in, uh, up in Lambertville. And I don't know what vultures have to do, uh, you know, on a Wednesday morning. I'm not sure what they're doing. But I can tell you this, it ain't nothing good. You ever see a tree full of them? They're gigantic birds. And whenever you see them gathered together, you think something's about to die, Right? Because those are flesh-eating fowls. And that's exactly what's happening here. He said, bring them together and look at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Notice in verse number 11, he is coming to make war and they are coming to make war. This is Armageddon. You can see the wrath that is there. The, the heathen are raging. You saw in Psalm chapter 2, verse 5 then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. We'll see that in a moment. All right, letter B. Letter B. Notice the tenses. Notice the tenses in Revelation 11 15 to 17. This is the tribulation period. Verse number 12 shows you that. And then look, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. This is the second advent of Christ. Now we say second advent, second coming, we get that confused sometimes. Sometimes you think of the second coming of Christ as, as the rapture. And, and, and you could call it that if you want. But the difference is in the rapture, Jesus does not come down physically to the earth. He comes to the clouds. We meet him in the clouds. In the second advent, or sometimes people will say the second coming, it's where Jesus comes down to the earth, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, and they split in half. So he physically comes down to the earth. He's not coming to capture or to catch the saints in the church age away. He's coming to take over the world. And people get those things confused. And so what you end up with is we're all praying that Jesus comes back and takes over the world. Well, we are praying for that, but before that happens, we're praying that we go with him because he said, if I leave you, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there ye may be also. That's what we want. We want to be with Jesus. So someone has said that uh, we're not looking to get away from this world so much. We're looking to be with him. Not so excited about the Antichrist as we are about Jesus Christ. We want to see him. And, uh, and and so, you know, Jesus is not impressed or intimidated by any government leader. Um, none of that stuff bothers him. Why? He's going to come as a thief in the night and he's going to steal his people out. It, it's going to be a sudden thing that happens and he's going to take him with him. And no one's going to stop him. Why? Because we are his bride. So it's almost as if uh, we are are in captivity. Somebody has us in a a house somewhere, in some dark cave somewhere, and uh, we're in captivity, and he is looking to take us with him, and he's not going to announce, I'm coming to take over. No, that comes later. All he's going to do is say, I'm taking my wife, and we're getting out of here. And then I'm coming back later, and I'm going to deal with you. So that's the difference between the rapture and the second advent. Now, the anger is not just at Armageddon. There's anger at the final battle. The final battle. The anger at the final battle. Because you notice in verse 15, the kingdoms of this world are become. What does that mean? Now. Right? Then you have the four and twenty elders. They give thanks. But look at what it says in, in verse number 17. We give thanks... O Lord God almighty which art and wast and art to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned okay and the nations were angry and thy wrath is come i want you to see that there's something there's something here we know that the kingdoms are become And we know that he's saying, thou hast taken to thee thy great power. Notice the difference there. Notice the difference that the kingdoms are become. But then he said, hast reigned. Do you see the difference there? The kingdoms are become right now. That's what he says there in verse number 16 or 15. But then he said, the, the saints are saying, praise God, you have reigned. And you say, well, 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 he's been reigning in heaven. That is true, but there's something else here to keep in mind. Take your Bible, look at Revelation chapter 20. There's, there's something else that is, uh, it's hidden there. If you look at chapter 20, look at uh, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So if you ever need to know, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, it's all right there, just so you know. Uh, It reminds me of the Old Testament verse where he talks about the pot, the kettle, the cauldron, that one, just in case you have any questions. If you have any questions about it, you know, that old serpent that we first came into contact with in Genesis chapter 3, he takes a hold of him. And he binds him for how long? A thousand years. Verse uh, three, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And it goes on. It says a thousand years, five times in this passage, six times. Look at verse seven. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now, question: Who gathered the people to the battle before in the battle of Armageddon? Who was doing the gathering? Everybody remember? It was the Lord. The Lord's the one that gathered. He gathered them together. If you go back, you can see uh, he says, gather them. He says, come and gather yourselves together. The Lord is saying, hey, you all come. And I saw the beast and the armies gathered together. And you see, and uh, the Lord is laughing at them, thinking that they're going to get away in Psalm chapter 2. But here, here, this is after the millennium. And Satan is loosed. And he goes out to deceive the nations to gather them together to battle. And he's gathering them to to battle after 1,000 years. In just case you missed it, there's six times that he he uses that phrase in this passage. You know what is happening here? The nations were angry even after he reigned. Now, if that doesn't show you the incurable rebelliousness of man. After a thousand years of the perfect environment, isn't it, isn't it taught that the reason why people sin is because of their environment? The reason why people have hard times in their life is because of the homes that they grew up in, the neighborhoods they lived in, all of that. And no doubt that has some effect, but it never explains why people grow up to be law-abiding citizens from those same environments. And I tell you the real reason? It's the heart. The heart is the real reason. If you want to be a victim and you want to blame people, you will have provender enough. You, you will have more than enough to go around. You will always have plenty of reason to be the victim. And right now, even me saying that is going, yeah, you don't understand. <laughs> even that right there can help you feel like a victim if you want to be a victim. If you want to be the one that says it's not fair And by the way, rebels are not always people Who go toe-to-toe with an authority Sometimes they're people who would never talk They would never say anything But in their heart they feel justified They feel that they have been done wrong I don't know what the people are thinking After they come through millennium How have they been done wrong? I don't know, maybe too much good stuff You've been too nice to us, God. No, probably they, they don't agree with his judgment. They don't agree with his policies. They don't agree with, with what he says. And so after, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter the fact that your kid, your daughter has a pet lion. It's that she rides to school every day. Like, that's, you know, that's not even a benefit. You don't even care about that. I mean, not, let alone the fact that your tomato plant is 100 feet high in your backyard. You don't have to even think about that. Because, you know, there's just something about Jesus I just don't like. But after a thousand years of really cool stuff happening all day, every day, and breathing really well, no pollution, (laughs) no potholes, amen! Wouldn't that be amazing? Do you think the Lord himself could fix Michigan's potholes? Hey, I'll tell you this, nobody else can. We know that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Jesus can fix those potholes, and I'm going to say, Lord, would you bump that up a notch or two in the list when you come down to reign? But even with all that stuff, people are still going to rebel. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, "We will not have this man reign over us. We will not have this man reign over us." And if you if you snake that out in your life, if you look for that in your heart, uh, it's what it's what wives say. It's what kids say. It's what men say about their bosses. We will not have this man reign over us. And that's what happens. The nations are angry. So let's look next, back to your outline. Next, the allocations of God. You got to stay, you know, alliterated. Let's go back to 11, chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 18 And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. You got two opposing factions. You got Michigan, Ohio State, perennial em- enemies. They're both mad. My, my money's on God, <laughs> but, but that's just me. Now, now, did you hold your place in, in, in Psalm chapter 2? If you didn't, let's go, let's go back there and let's look at Psalm 2. The nations were angry and thy wrath is come. That's what letter, letter A is there, his coming wrath. His coming wrath. All right, so Psalm 2 and did you see there in verse number uh, five? Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sword his pleasure. Yet have I, this is God the Father speaking, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Who is that? Well, now we hear who it is because it's the son that begins talking. I will declare the decree. The Lord God the Father, hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Wow, who in the world is that? It's the Lord and his anointed. You know, this is, uh, it, what's interesting here is that we know that the son of David is going to rule and reign. And the, uh, the nation of Israel would say, this is, this is uh, David. But he said, this day have I begotten thee. And he said, son, capital S. Did you see that in verse number seven? He goes on down and he says, uh, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. His wrath. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So the, the coming wrath... Of God can only be assuaged by kissing the sun. All right, now Revelation chapter six—you'll see there um, the response of many of the folks. Revelation chapter six: When when Christ returns, Revelation six fifteen. I think we're finished with Psalm two tonight. Revelation six fifteen, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and all the things that we love in America, and the mighty men, and every bondman. And every, and by the way, they love in every country in the world, right? Everybody. They love what? They love great men, rich men, chief captains. And the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, the wrath of the lamb. We saw in Revelation chapter 20, when they gather together, what happens? The fire of God comes down and devours them. That's after. That's after the millennium. So there's wrath that is allocated by God. He has it set aside. By the way, if you're looking for a very practical thing to do with your emotions, do the same thing. Allocate your great wrath for later. Uh, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, right? Don't burn in and, and hatred and anger. Move it off somewhere. Put it off. If you have a problem with, with, with being distracted or getting down and depressed, it's a very practical thing to say, you know what, I don't have time to be depressed right now, but i tell you what I'm going to do, feelings. I'm going to put you on the calendar right now. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. We're going to set up a day where we can just be depressed all day long. Does that sound weird to you? Seems like it does. You know why? Because we think anytime we feel anything, we have to feel it. I mean, if I feel it, then it's got to be right. You ever felt something that was wrong? Yeah. You know, what my kids said to me last Saturday, they texted me. We were out of town. And, and uh, visiting some missionaries, and, and, and uh, they're now coming back off the field, Brother Rachel and, uh, Brother Rachel, Brother, Brother Charlie and Rachel Barkowski. Um, she's a great man, I'm telling you. She's just, she is strong, strong man. She doesn't even mind me calling Brother Rachel. Anyhow, but, but, but they texted me in the morning, they said, hey, um, Dad, the wind was really bad last night. And it blew out the windows in your room, in your in your uh, the bedroom, and I said, "You got to be kidding me!" I mean, it figures after the the year we've had, but but, but really, I said, "Are you trying to tell me that there are two gaping holes in the bedroom?" And uh, and she said, "Yep, they blew it. Blew the the windows right." I said, 1st I'm thinking, what kind of cheap construction, Perry'sburg? What? <laughs> Perry'sburg is not that great." Their windows just blow out in the yard. And then, and then the other girl, Adriana, she chimes in. She says, do you want to put like some plastic up, you know, over the window? I'm like, what in the world? And, and Leanne says, Dad, do you know what day it is? <laughs> got them. That, that's the only thing you can say at that point. They got me. You know, here's the thing. I didn't tell my wife because, you know what, I wanted to have fun. I knew she was going to read the text thread. And so she had the same thing. Now, guess what? The feelings I had were wrong. You don't want to know the feelings I had. They were wrong. I felt them. The feelings were real, but the feelings were wrong. So as a human, you can have real feelings that are wrong. you got to get that in your head. Uh, the Lord, aren't you glad of that? that? Aren't you glad that everything that you feel right now is not really true? Because if it were, we, it, we would be dead by now. We would have either killed ourselves or killed everyone else and then killed ourselves. You can't. You can't go by your feelings. The great day of his wrath has come. There's a day marked capital W, capital R, capital A, right? Because he intends to bring wrath. So maybe that could help you, in it, just in a practical sense. It certainly helps us that God didn't squash us the first time we sinned. He's very kind to us. Now, he says, in, in, uh back to chapter 11, let's look at his coming judgment. We've got to move along down the tracks here. We're getting, we're getting too practical. We've got to stay theoretical. Amen? Chapter 11, verse number 18. I'm still mad about those girls. Man, alive. What in the world? They made their grandma Marshall proud, I can tell you that. (laughs) My mom still talks about this day 30 years ago. More than that, I was probably 14 years old, and she, one bright morning, you'll never guess which day in the spring it was, that she says, there's a fire in the back of the bus. And she got all pumped up about it. She's not here tonight. Uh, she was so excited about that. There, there's a fire! So I got up and I ran back, of course, wearing what all men wear to bed. And uh, I grabbed the fire extinguisher and I jumped up and I ran back through the middle of everybody. And uh, she was like, April Fools! And she never, I guess that made her life. I don't know. She Every year she brings that back up. And I'm like, yeah, Mom, that's why I hated my childhood. You could... <laughs> Couldn't get in the shower without mom dumping a, you know, a cup of cold water on your head. And, uh, you know, you'd say she'd be sewing, you know, she'd say, John, would you look on the floor for my needle? So I'd come over, I'd bend down and get down and she'd poke me in the rear with a needle. So I'm not a big fan of practical jokes. I can tell you that. Maybe I'm too earnest, but that's part of the reason. That's part of the reason, uh, so anyhow, how do we get on that? I don't know where we were. Oh, I know. <laughs> what did you say? Bitterness. <laughs> Bitterness, amen. Well, I'll tell you what it says in chapter 11, verse 18. The time of the dead, they should be judged. Amen. Judgment's coming to mind. Okay. So, so we're talking about the wrath that's coming and then the judgment that's coming. So the judgment here is something we've, we've got we've to look into just a little bit because this judgment is not referring to the judgment seat of Christ uh it's it's not in the judgment of christ is is a place where believers are judged not their works are not judged to determine whether or not they go to heaven people get this mixed mix, mixed up as well we say there's no scale in heaven there's not a scale per se but there is a judgment which a scale is a judgment and, and there is a scale, so to speak, for believers in the church age called the judgment seat of Christ. It's where your works are judged and to determine the rewards that you will receive. And those rewards will translate into your capacity to glorify Jesus Christ throughout eternity. You will have some type of position, some type of, uh, of opportunity that comes from those rewards So that's what the crowns are about. The crowns are about your place in the millennial kingdom and beyond. It's not just about, you know, I don't want any rewards. The Lord's like, okay, I guess you want to sit on the sidelines throughout eternity? Is that what you're telling me? I don't think that's what you want. He wants us to to do something, to exercise so that we have rewards. And the Lord's going to say, you know what? You're really good at this. I want you to do that. I want you to do that forever. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that, but that's not what this judgment seat is. Look at chapter 20, verse 11. This will give us um, further understanding. Chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, I want you to notice here, the coming judgment is is not the judgment seat. It's the great white throne judgment. But we're going to see here, number one, the reward of the saints. Back to chapter 11. Back to chapter 11. The time of the dead, verse 18, the time of the dead that they should be judged... And then notice then, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name. So what happens is often, you know, when the judgment seat of Christ took place a thousand years prior to this judgment. But you know, you ever heard there will be no saints at the great white throne judgment? Well, the problem with that is, according to Revelation chapter 11, We've got saints here that are being judged at the end, all right? And they are being rewarded, rewarded, okay? So, so what does that mean? Well, he can't be talking about church-age saints because that happened way before, way before the millennium ever took place, before the tribulation or during the tribulation sometime, these are tribulation saints, these are millennial saints who are being judged at the great white throne judgment. Somebody's receiving rewards here. They're not receiving rewards for believing on his name, for uh, you know, the, the works that they get because they believed on his name, or receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in that sense as we do today, or for being born again. Uh, why? I want, you to notice, I want you to notice what it says in verse 18. It says, thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. Now That's interesting. That's not what Paul told people when they said, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say, fear God. What did he say? He said, believe. Believe. He didn't tell the people in the church age uh when when they said in for response to the gospel to fear his name now you might say well it's the same thing it's believe and fear well it's not it's not really the same thing it's not really the same thing believing on his name believers in the tribulation are told to fear his name why because the hour of judgment is coming people in the tribulation better fear the Lord Jesus Christ more than they fear the Antichrist. And they can believe all they want. But if they don't endure to the end, if, if they take the mark of the beast, they're damned for eternity. And so this is, here's the thing. I, I've been raised in church all my life, and I've heard all kinds of stuff, scrapbook of ideas. And, and here's the problem. If what you believe doesn't fit with Scripture you're going to have a hard time believing Scripture. So if if you're not willing to adjust what you believe based on the words of God, you're going to have a problem getting to know God. Because you only get to know God through his word. And what happens is, if there's a little bit of a difference between what you believe and what the word says, and what you believe trumps what the word says, you're just slightly getting further away from the Lord. There's a little bit less of trust in God. And you still love God, but you'll find yourself bending things ever so slightly to fit. And when you're the one bending the words of God instead of the words of God bending you, it's really hard to live like a joyful Christian. It's hard to be interested in the Bible when you think you can make the Bible mean whatever whatever you want. You know why? Because a lot of believers do that. They take the Bible and they say, Well, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe that. Why not? Well, because it's not a traditional belief. Wait a minute. Go back to the part about believing things that are not true. You've got to be careful about it. You know, the best thing to do is to believe the Word of God as it stands and let the Word of God inform the word of God, and you'll gradually learn more and more. But you've got to find a place in your Christian life where every word of God can be literally true. Literally true. And so what's happening here is this is different. This time frame is different. How do I know that? Let me ask you this. Did God ever rain fire from heaven on you? He's going to in the tribulation. And the kind of people that, that, that are told to fear God are the people who have a very clear choice whether or not to serve Jehovah, fear him, or fear the Antichrist. It's very clear. There's not a whole lot that's clear in this world, but it will be very clear in that world. And so God gives them very, very definite definite decision or commandment, fear God. Go, go if you would, to chapter 14. Look at chapter 14. And by the way, he said, uh, you got to endure, right? Matthew 24, 13. How do you endure? By fearing God. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth, and every nation and kindred and tongue and people. It's the everlasting gospel. What's the everlasting gospel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The reason why, again, I'm hitting this because I understand the challenge it is to to adjust what you believe about Scripture. I understand that. So some of you, you you can thank the Lord that you were given an opportunity to rightly divide the word of truth as soon as you got saved. But some of you were not given that opportunity, and so it can seem like rank heresy. I'm just going to tell you this. If you're believing the words of God, you should be fine. You're not going to get in trouble with God. And if you're not believing the words of God, you're going to be in trouble at some point. Even if nothing more, you're going to be stuck in the sand. But did you see here the everlasting gospel? Fear God. The reason that the book of life is open at the great white throne judgment is because some of the people from the tribulation and millennium will have their names in there and some won't. And, and, And here's what's frightening. Some can have their names blotted out. They get their names in there by fearing God and giving him glory and worshiping him. Look like verse number seven. Right. But if they stop doing those things, they can have their names blotted out. By the way, this really brings into focus Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, where it says, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to church-age saints. He's talking about people in the millennium and people in the tribulation. People who, if they say, oh, you don't have to do that, you don't have to, they they mutilate the Bible in the future, their their salvation is, is in jeopardy, and we talked about this in the past. We won't take any more time. <clears throat> the thing that separates us, Church Age believers, from every other group of people who lived before us or who live after us is is this: we are in Christ, and we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That is different. That that, that is something that it, not everyone is I- I- even sealed. Uh, there's some that are 144,000 that are sealed in the tribulation but but they're not sealed with the holy spirit the same way you and I are sealed by the holy spirit of god the great white throne judgment here is at the end of the millennium those who endured to the end they will be uh, rather who did not endure to the end they will be judged those who did endure the end are going to be rewarded all right on our I'll, and let's let's roll quickly through this the destruction of the wicked where it says in chapter 11, should us destroy them which destroy the earth. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then lastly, Romans, Roman numeral six, the ark of God's testament. The ark of God's testament. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple, the ark of his testament. And there was lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So we're back at the second coming of Christ here. Temple of God's open. Notice its placement is revealed in the temple of heaven. Or maybe its place. You could say that uh, the temple of God was opened in heaven. They were seen in his temple. So we saw that in, in Hebrews, you have the Jewish tabernacle. You have the Jewish temple and all those things were they were replicas on earth of the real temple or tabernacle in heaven. Right there was a true tabernacle, a true temple in heaven, and and that's what that's what this is showing us from a historical standpoint. Everywhere the ark of God went, the blessing of God went. So remember, when they brought, we just read that this week, uh, they brought the ark of God into the middle of the Jordan. The Jordan dried up, and the the feet of the priests were dry. They stood firm on dry ground, and, and then when they went into Jericho. Uh, The walls of Jericho fell down because of the shouting, but also the ark of God was there. It brought blessing. Um, When when the ark approaches, the enemies of God are scattered. And remember, when the ark of God was with Israel, Israel dwelt in safety. Right. So what you have here is the blessing of God anytime you see the ark. So what God is doing here, he's making a statement to Israel and he's saying, I am bringing the blessing to you. I am with you. The church doesn't have a temple. We are temples, right? Uh, The church doesn't have an ark. Uh, We don't have a covenant. Uh, We don't have a covenant. Before we were saved, we didn't have a covenant. Israel has a covenant. Now we have a covenant in Christ. It's the new covenant. But God's reminding us here that he is going to fulfill all of his promises to Israel. The ark of God was seen in heaven and the temple of God was opened in heaven. So, God's power is released throughout all the earth. You see there in, in chapter 19, verse, uh, uh, verse number 19. Uh, notice there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. A couple things about that. Uh, generally speaking, these things are connected with the awesomeness of God lightnings, voices, thunderings. You remember in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, They had lightnings and thunderings and a great loud voice and a rainbow. You know, it's a mockery of the throne of God, the temple of God. And and here we can we can see that it is talking about God's presence. Exodus chapter 19 and Ezekiel chapter one talks about uh, God's presence coming with thunders and lightnings and, and a thick cloud and so forth. But specifically speaking, these things are connected with the judgment of God's wrath. Revelation chapter 8, chapter 16, and chapter 11, you have voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake coming out of the judgment of God. So what we've we finished out with here in Revelation chapter 11 really is our second trip through the book of, of, of Revelation and uh, through the tribulation, through the millennium, and even into the great white throne judgment, and so we're going we're to wrap it up tonight. And like I said, we'll take a little break on this. We'll come back and hit it with a great exuberance later. But before we go, I want, you to, I want you to take two points with you. Two points. Number one, as believers, as church age believers, God wants us to know him and to worship him. That's why he left us this book. God wants us to know him and he wants us to worship him. The father is seeking Worshippers So as we think about how powerful our God is That God is coming and he's going to take over the world He's going to judge, he's going to hold us accountable Hold the, hold the wicked world accountable but, but, but why? Because God desires everyone to worship him And he only puts up with it for so long Before he has to separate you for eternity If you will not worship him You say, I can't believe in a God who would. Well, you can believe in a God who made you and keeps you alive and all the rest of that, as long as he doesn't tell me what to do. We have to remember as believers, we're not created to add God to our subscription. God is the only subscription that we have. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He wants us to worship him, focus, let everything else fill fill around the cracks. Hey, it's it's not spouse first. No, it's God first. And then your spouse. And then your kids. And then everything else. Love the Lord thy God. Number two, we are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And that is not just a threat. It's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity. If you invest in the stock market, you believe in future rewards. Future rewards are coming for the people of God. What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what. You don't need to worry about what kind of rewards. You don't have to worry about how, what you should be doing for God or, or, or what ministry you should have. Or when, You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Here's how you get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. You worship Jesus Christ and get to know him. You know, get to know him through his book and, and worship him and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to follow you. And God will begin to tell you what he wants you to do. And what you'll find when you get out there at the judgment seat, it wasn't your great work and effort. It was his mercy, his grace that allowed you to earn those rewards. He intends for you to don't listen. Don't bring religion into this. It's not about how you can earn your way into heaven. Don't bring religion into it. It's because you are a saint. What can you do to bring glory to God? And if you'll do that, I guarantee you, you'll have some rewards at the judgment seat. Okay, now, as we go to prayer tonight, of course, I want to pray for the folks that are in the way of those uh, tornadoes and storms. And hopefully that's not us sometime tonight or whenever, but I haven't looked at the weather map recently. Uh, A couple things I wanted you to ask, uh, ask you to pray for. uh, If you would pray for Mrs. Byer. Um, the wife of the missionary Kevin Byer, there in Australia, she has multiple myeloma it 's very rare um, and and she 's there they 've relocated from Australia to Austin, Texas if you would pray and then brother Brother Homan is to my last update. He is in a coma and he 's having um, these difficulties here uh that he was having experiencing blindness when he went into it. So please pray for Brother Holman. Uh, Brother Brother Gop uh, is waiting. Um, he, he not only is a pain in the neck; he has a pain in his neck. And I like to kid Brother Mel, but I talked to him this afternoon. He's 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 doing well, but he's had a lot of hits. And so let's continue to pray. Pray for Brother Brother Jim Walker as well. They're still waiting on that pathology reports. Um, you know how that goes. Uh, good to see Brother Ken here tonight. Uh, had uh, had that. Drive-through surgery almost, and that's a blessing. And uh, brother Hornbeck had a, a good surgery, but he's still in a lot of pain. And then continue to pray for brother Landy La- uh, Randy Lashaway. He's still having pain. Um, I'd like to ask you to pray for me tomorrow, Lord willing. I'm going to be having lunch with—I uh, 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 think he's still the chief of uh, the fire chief there in Sylvania. And this will be the second time I'm meeting with him. He's not saved, and uh, he knows that I'm a Christian. And ask, if you would, tonight pray that uh, God would give me an opportunity. He's got religion, uh, but he's lost. And so let's pray that way. Um, if you have someone that you would like for me to pray with, um, I, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, I would encourage you to do this. If you have a lost friend, um, try, to, try to get with them and uh, try to use all of your relationships in your life as, as kind of on a, slide, on a slide, a funnel that leads to Jesus. So you can be friends with everybody, the dog catcher, and it just leads to Jesus eventually. You pray for wisdom, you pray for boldness, pray for the right timing, the right words. Just pray, Lord, help me to bring them to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you would pray for me and uh, also pray for me. I have very few friends. I need more friends and uh, 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 I I need more lost friends. So pray that God will point those out to me. If you've got an activity that you want to do with a lost friend and you want to invite me, I'll come with you. Uh, it could be a saved friend too, but um, if you're trying to reach somebody for Christ and you want to get together, and play basketball, or eat a meal or something, let me know. Let's do that. Let's let's look for the opportunities in our lives everywhere we go. Whoever they're we're around, our neighbor. You know, Easter's coming up. You can in- connect with them. Hey, you want to come to church with me? Um, it, it, hey, you want to play pickleball? Um, and and seek to foster those relationships with lost people. And here's what you do: you don't get together and try to make them feel like you're cool or your hip, or your whatever. That's not what it's about. But it's also not about getting the gospel, the first thing you say to them. And the reason is, it's not about what you want to say to them. It's about what they're ready and prepared to hear. And if they're not ready and prepared to hear it, you could ruin the whole thing. So you pray, God, as soon as I can, help me get to that place where they hear Jesus Christ. You say, well, people don't get saved. That's actually not true. Uh, somebody got saved this afternoon, they were telling me, or this, this morning. Uh, somebody told me that today. They led someone to Christ. People are getting saved. And you know how they're doing it? Personal one-on-one conversations. On purpose, asking, trying to dig in, starting to say, I'll give you this, this story, and I'm way over time, so forgive me. Um, but last week, I was, uh, we were over there, like I said, visiting with the Barkowskis. And as we were walking into the store, uh, there was a man that said, hey, you registered to vote? And I said, yeah, I'm registered to vote. And he said, because, uh, you know, I said, you sign this petition for us? I said, uh, what, what's it about? He said, uh, a, pre- preserve a woman's right to choose what she wants to do with her own body. And I said, well, I, I said, I'm, a, I'm against abortion. I think abortion is murder. And uh, we started talking about that. And he said, well, what about this and that? And I said, well, you know, and I gave him my political whatever and, uh, and told him what I believe about it. And I don't think it's just political. I think it's, I think it's the truth. And uh, talking about that, and he's like, well, you know, sir, I gotta go, I gotta go. So he pulls away and he does his own thing. Well, I go in the store and I'm shopping and uh, then we get done after a while, I come out and he's down the way in front of another store and uh, he sees me from afar and I see him and he kind of locks eyes on me and I'm like, do you want to talk more? Like he wants to argue, he wants to debate, whatever. And I I wasn't going to start it up again, but he kept looking at me. And so as I got closer to him, he says, just for the record, I don't believe in this abortion either. I just need to make money. And I said, well, I, I feel badly for you. You shouldn't be doing this if you don't believe in it. Yeah. And I started talking to him about, you know, somebody could die as a result of what you're doing and, and going into all that. And, uh, and we ended up talking about the Lord and uh, gave him a gospel tract and told him that God's looking for him. And he needs, to, he needs to repent. He needs to get right with God and all this stuff. You know, going into that, I gave him my number. And I said, text me. And he hasn't texted me or anything. But you see, guys, it's, it can be that easy and that normal. Uh, I didn't get mad at him and say you probably voted for blah blah blah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you know what matters? The Lord's after that boy's soul. He wants to see him in heaven. And uh, how did it happen? Well, I don't normally start conversations with people on you know points that we disagree on, but it just happened, and God gave me the opportunity. So I don't know where that person is with your, in your life, but if you'll open your eyes and say, Lord, you know I'm scared to death. Or you might even say, Lord, you know, I really don't care. (laughs) Will you help me with that? Will you help my apathy, God? Because I know your your gospel is right. I know that heaven and hell are real. Lord, I know that people are dying and going to go to hell. And I know you want to put people in heaven. Lord, would you help me with my apathy, Lord? Just kind of get me out of it. And I'll be willing, Lord. I'm not going to say I'm going to take a giant, you know, Mother May I giant step. But I'll take a little step. If you'll show me just a little step, Lord, I'm willing. And here, that's a great thing to pray for tonight. Like if your heart is cold and you think, man, it's been a long time since I really even cared about the gospel. I mean, I'm saved. I'm going to church. Don't change anything at church. But I don't really care about the gospel. Sorry, cutting a little close there. Um, We got to be careful with that, guys. Because we'll become Laodicean, rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and know not that we are miserable and poor and blind and naked. And we can't see every man clearly as he is. And so we need to, he's counseled us. He said, hey, buy of me some salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see people as they clearly are. And uh, God will help you with that. That's a really spiritual prayer request. These prayer requests are physical, and uh, every single one of those people that we are praying for, we hope that they get better, but they're gonna be in heaven forever. Forever. In fact, in some ways, they would be, all of us would be better off if we were in heaven right now. There's not one thing that we won't do better in heaven than we do here prayer, worship, glorifying Jesus Christ, fellowship, love. You know one thing we can't do in heaven. Get the gospel out. We can't. So I know you may feel like, you know, let us go. We got to pray. I- I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to come down hard on you. I'm trying. To, this is this is the point. The point that hurts is the point that needs help. And uh, if you'll if you'll pray tonight and you'll say, Lord, would you help me with this? Would you help me? And uh, I believe God will.